the main idea I want you to go home with and the main idea of what we're about to read is this, that true believers who trust God's word and act upon that trust experience overwhelming joy. We're, we're preparing to, to read about two women who heard God's word of salvation and acted upon it. And now, because they acted upon it, they experienced the joy of, of, of participation in God's eternal plan. And so, before we read, I'd like to ask this question to everybody here. How is your joy? Seriously, how is your joy today? Do you have the kind of joy that is deeply rooted in trust in God's promises? Do you, do you have the kind of joy that comes to people who are active participants in sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? These things bring a joy to your heart that cannot be removed. I, I challenge you today in, in two ways as we're about to read. Number one, if you do not know Jesus Christ... Hands down, the most joyful day of my life was the day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. And if you are truly in Christ, you have the exact same testimony, don't you? What a weight that was lifted and everything that came around the joy of your salvation. But there's a second way to experience a fullness of joy, and that is to know God's Word and to trust Him and to act upon what you know to be true. And we know from Scripture multitudinous promises that come to those who uh, trust God and, and work for God and proclaim His Word. You know, I, I've said this many times and I'll say it again. When, when I tell somebody about Christ, the majority of the people I tell about Christ, they, they don't have any kind of positive response to it. It's either neutral or uh, something like that. But it, in a sense, it doesn't matter because the joy, while I want to see that person trust Christ as your Savior, the joy is in the telling, isn't it? The joy is in, let me tell you what Christ did for me and now what he can do for you. That, that's the joy. And it refreshes us and reminds us of everything that God has done to secure salvation for his glory. And so today as we read... I would like to ask you those kinds of questions. So let's stand together and we'll read beginning in verse number 39. This is called, the, the, the song here is called the Magnificat. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But verse number 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, and here is the Magnificat, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. For behold, from even now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what a wonderful morning we've had already, singing about the coming of our Savior, his first advent, seeing these precious little children up here on the platform Uh, not only singing, but their personalities coming out and being silly. Lord, it's so much fun to see. And then to to be able to uh, think about joy in the Advent, it's been a a wonderful morning already. And so, Lord, I pray that as we listen to the Word of God today, that you will fill our hearts with joy, not joy in our temporal situation so much as joy in, that we know that we are participating in an eternal plan that you prepared from before the world was created, the universe was created, and it will extend forever and ever and ever to those who call upon your name and are called by your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name, amen. Thank you so much. Well, here are, here are two women, especially blessed by God, both of them pregnant, right? One who was still a, a virgin, she's rushing down to the hill country of Judea, about 60 miles distant. The other, always childless, staying at home, resting because she was six months pregnant. Could you imagine the meeting that they had? It, it, it had to be an incredible meeting uh, one, point, one person pointed out, and I thought this was fascinating, I never thought about this before, one person pointed out that this meeting was a meeting of two covenants through their sons. The one son, the greatest prophet of the old covenant, who was, announced, who was to announce the coming of the new covenant, the other son was the Lord of the new covenant. And when these two women came together and they embraced, it had to be an electric atmosphere, Electric atmosphere, people filled with the Spirit and everything else. And the first character that we, that we meet uh, is, is Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Now, Luke narrates the count. Look at the verse again. It says, When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And these verses, they show that there is joy that comes whenever somebody recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. When you recognize that Jesus is the Savior, not that you read about it, not that you heard about it, but you realize that not only is Jesus the Savior, Jesus is my Savior. There's incredible joy, isn't there? That the God of the universe, as Mark was talking about, would stoop 
and come down and save us is just an amazing thing to, to consider. Remember back to the first time that you recognized Jesus as Christ? Not just anyone's Christ, but your Christ. Remember how much joy was there? Well, n- notice that the first person to recognize Jesus was John. John was still in his mother's womb. And yet, even in his mother's womb, he was fulfilling the role of the forerunner. Remember? He was the forerunner. He was the one that Malachi said was going to prepare the way for him who is to come. And so he's acting as a forerunner even before he is born. And then in verse number 15 of Luke, if you remember all the way back, when Gabriel promised Elizabeth that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. By the inward witness of the Spirit, the child recognized the presence of Christ. Jesus was not yet visible. He was invisible in his mother's womb. And yet, John at that time knew him to be the Son of God. Isn't that amazing to think? Amazing set of circumstances here going on. Two babies in wombs. And one already recognized the other and filled with the Holy Spirit, leaped with joy. This is something that only the Holy Spirit can reveal to you, right? A lot of people can, can think that Jesus was a, a, a great example. He was a wonderful teacher, and he really he was a revolutionary in some people's mind. But when the Holy Spirit comes in your heart and shows you that Jesus Christ is your Savior, it changes everything. But not only was John filled with the Holy Spirit, so was Elizabeth. The coming of Christ is a thing that makes a person leap for joy. This is true for John, and this is true for anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. By the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, we recognize Jesus as the Son of God and our Savior from sin. And when we recognize Him, we rejoice in Him, and we can leap for joy of our own salvation. If you do not savor and find joy in your salvation, dear believer, you need to do that today. Joy strengthens you in your day-to-day walk. It strengthens your heart. It strengthens your soul. It strengthens your inner being, and you need that day in and day out. Dear mother, as you day by day train your children and work with your children, dear father, as you provide for your family and you also work with your children and, and in the roles that you have in church, you need inner strength. And if you don't have inner strength that comes from the joy of your salvation, that comes from you being in the Word of God, you are going to falter. And so have that joy. Elizabeth joined in the rejoicing. When John jumped, she shouted. And what was it that made this woman shout? It was the coming of Christ. Like her son, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and like him, she recognized that she was in the presence of the Messiah. And she raised her voice, and this is what she said. She said, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come in? The mother of my Lord should come in. That's what she, she exclaimed. And you know what? We call ourselves Christians, and don't miss this. We call ourselves Christians, and we live with joy because we know that our Lord is coming once again. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? What 
great day that is to look forward to. Jesus Christ is coming again. The incredible humility of Elizabeth is seen in the, in the, this is the first beatitude of Luke, by the way. I think there are six, I might be wrong on that, six times in Luke there's beatitudes. But the incredible humility, instead of focusing on her own pregnancy, she was six months pregnant. She didn't talk about her own baby, who was a forerunner. She, um, she, she wasn't like most people. She focuses not on Mary and Mary's pregnancy, she focuses on Mary's son. She honored Mary as the most blessed woman in the world. Elizabeth honored her because her faith. In verse number 45, it says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment that was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, this is interesting. Look at that verse. This is verse number 45. Look at it. I had, I had a number of people last week um, talk to me about the question that Mary asked. Remember the question that Mary asked when the Gabriel came to her? She said, how can this be? How, how can this come about? That was a question. And a lot of people said, well, that sounds like doubt. That sounds like she's doubting. Zechariah, uh, he doubted and he was made mute. But Mary is praised for her question, why is that? Well, the answer is this verse right here. This verse tells us that when Mary heard, Mary believed. And even though Mary believed, she still wanted to know, okay, well, how is this going to happen? And that was, that was a question. It was not a question of unbelief. Unlike Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, who heard the word and did not believe, when Mary heard, she believed it. And the most important thing that Elizabeth said was not about Mary, but it was about Jesus. She referred to the child in Mary's womb as her Lord. She called Jesus my Lord. And this, this is a title from Psalm 110. Turn to Psalm 110, will you? Hold your finger here, turn to Psalm 110, and, and uh, we'll look at Psalm 110, verse number 1. This is, a, this is one of the most quoted verses in the Gospels. Psalm 110, verse number 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And when she called Jesus my Lord, she was referring back to Psalm 110, verse number 1. She understood Psalm 110, verse number 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. All right, you can go back to Luke chapter 1 now. But this is something that could have been revealed to Elizabeth only by the Holy Spirit. She was sitting quietly at home. She was resting. How did she know that Mary was the mother of the Messiah? How did she know that she was even pregnant? Because remember, Mary, the Bible says that when Mary was told what's the first thing she did, she went with haste down to Judea. She did not tell a soul that she was pregnant. And she comes down, and as soon as she walks in, what does Elizabeth tell her? You are bearing the child who is my Lord. This is revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is, uh, this is um, something that was revealed only to her and only by uh, God's pleasures of revealing it to her. And by looking beyond his humanity to see his deity, Elizabeth is the first to confess her faith in Jesus as, as Lord. 
really. And this is how everyone should, should respond to Christ. Uh, everyone should respond to Jesus Christ by trusting Him as Savior and rejoicing Him as Lord. We, we have an even better reason to believe in Jesus than John and Elizabeth had. Did you know that? They were rejoicing at the conception. But the reason that we rejoice at Christ is because we also rejoice in the crucifixion and the resurrection and all the promise that comes along with that. And this is why Luke wrote his gospel so that we can know for sure that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised to give us eternal life. And now everyone who believes in Jesus leaps for joy and calls him Lord. Isn't that wonderful? I was talking to someone uh, just uh, yesterday who we were talking about getting older and how much wonder, how wonderful it's going to be to get a resurrection body. Won't that be nice? Uh, I was talking to somebody this week that was mentioning the, the A word, arthritis, in the weather and how, how much it hurts. When you get your resurrection body, there's no more of that, right? Uh, it's going to be wonderful. But mo- most importantly, when we get resurrected, we will be forever in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It'll be wonderful. Well, we have Elizabeth, what she said, her beatitude, but now we have Mary's song. Mary, look at uh, beginning in verse number 46. Mary also rejoiced in the coming of Christ by breaking out in song. Her song is called the Magnificat. And it's a, it's a title taken from the Latin title for it, which uh, Magnificat, which means magnify, magnifies. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I'm going to give you a little bit of inside baseball here, okay? This will make you feel really smart. But uh, this is a little bit of inside baseball. Mary's song, the Magnificat, is the first of four nativity hymns in these first two chapters. You have Mary's Magnificat, Zacharias gives his Benedictus, the angels give the Gloria, and Simeon gives the New Dimittis, okay? And all these things, these Latin titles are different songs, and so if you'll memorize those, then when you meet your family on Christmas, you can sound really intelligent, so, and really well learned, all those Latin names. They, these songs, they only appear in Luke, which makes Luke the, the, the first hymnologist, doesn't it? The first Christian hymns were written by Luke. Luke included these lyrics because he understood that the gospel is and must be musical. Think forward to Revelation 4 and 5. What what are the multitudes in heaven doing? They're singing, aren't they? The gospel is musical. What God has done in Christ demands to be praised. It's not enough to simply say what God has done to save us. What he's done also needs to be celebrated in song. And so Mary's poem is a psalm that leads us to praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Mary, as I said last week, may be as young as 12 or 13 years old. And so there are scholars who will say, well, you know, there's no way that Mary could have written this hymn. Luke must have written it and inserted it in there because there's no 12-year-old 
you, you know your kids are 12, 13. Could they write anything like this is what scholars would say, right? Don't raise your hand and say my kid could, okay? We don't want to hear uh, about that. Uh, we'll have confession after church if you do. But Mary composed a poetic and theological masterpiece. And so these, these scholars will say, skeptics will say, someone more sophisticated, maybe Luke, was the one who put these words in her mouth. But there are two objections to this. I want to give them these to you. First of all, they are overlooking the doctrine of inspiration. Mary was filled with the Spirit. Six different times in the birth narrative, the Bible refers to someone being full of the Holy Spirit. And many times when somebody is full of the Holy Spirit, the first thing they do is they speak or sing. And so they're overlooking the doctrine of inspiration, but secondly, they're overlooking the fact that Mary knew her Bible. She knew her Bible very well. The average person did not have a copy of the Bible The way the system worked, if you want to know, they had synagogues in every village, in every city. And in these synagogues, they had copies of the Word of God. And every Sabbath, the Word was read. But in schools and in the homes, not only was the Bible read, they didn't have copies of it. And so what they did, they taught their children Scripture by singing Scripture to them. They sung the Scripture to them. And Mary knew her Bible. It sounds a, a lot like something from King David. It sounds very similar. A lot of commentaries I was looking at this week referred back to 1 Samuel 2, where Hannah uh, praised the Lord for the birth of Samuel, right? But there are also echoes um, or allusions from Genesis, from Deuteronomy, from First and Second Samuel, from Job and Psalms, and Isaiah and Ezekiel, Habakkuk and Zephaniah, they're all snippets of all these Old Testament scriptures in Mary's song. And so Mary, what it seems that she did was try to put the whole Old Testament into her song. She knew her scriptures very well. And she was able to do this because the Psalms and the poems of the Bible were written on her heart. She had been raised on scriptures. She sang them at home. She heard them in the synagogue. And so when the plan of salvation intersected with her life, she was able to offer God the right kind of praise. Mary used the exalted language that she had learned at her mother's knee by reading and singing the Bible. That's what she was doing. I want you to think something. Her words and her thoughts were soaked in scriptures. And so parents, we had, you know, my mind went to this as I looked at these, these children. And I thought to myself, Lord, I pray that these parents are giving their precious children scripture every day. And I'm not saying, sit down kids, we're going to read our Bibles. You know, it's wonderful that you have Caleb or whatever other radio station going, but those songs, please don't be offended by that, those songs are extremely shallow for the most part. And if you in, raise your child in these kind of songs, 
they're going to have a self-centered praise because most of those songs are about me and what God did for me. Dear parent, I challenge you, raise your children on the Word of God. Sing the Word to them. Sing songs that are infused with Scripture. Teach them words. Have God's Word on your lips. All the time have God's Word on your lips. That is, And then, if your child, and pray to the Lord that God will infuse His Scriptures in your child's hearts and minds and lips so that whenever they think, they think Scripture. So that whenever they think, they think like God thinks. What greater privilege is that than this, is there? There's no greater privilege. I've reflected on this, and I, and I praise God for this. And you will too, parent, that I think the greatest blessing at Christmas time for me when the family gets together is that to the best of my knowledge, my children are walking with the Lord. What, what greater privilege can, can you have? I'm sorry. So parents, work with your children. You are entrusted with a soul. You're entrusted with a life who was made to glorify God Almighty. Well, anyway, one last note as we get into the substance of the song. I, I, want, I want to, can I teach you a little bit about biblical interpretation? Hunter, if, if I'm wrong, don't call me out, okay? Hunter's here. And anyway, I won't go into, uh, into that, but it's good to see him this morning. And I, I'll mention I saw David Jackson wherever he is. It's good to see you there, David. So um, look at verses 46 and 47. I want to teach you a little something before we jump into the meat, and we're going to go through this quickly. But notice in verse number 46 and 47, what does Mary say? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What is she doing there? Is she teaching that there's a difference between soul and spirit? You know, is she teaching the trichotomy, that there's a body, soul, and spirit? I'm going to say she's not at all teaching that. This is poetry. This is Hebrew poetry, and it's very important that you understand what type of scripture that you're reading. The type of literature is very important. What she is doing is a very common Hebrew poetic structure called parallelism she's saying the same thing twice same thing twice and that's very important for you to understand when you get into the psalms and especially the proverbs i've heard a lot of really bad teaching come from the psalms and proverbs because they misunderstand the genre let me give you some examples of parallelism in the psalms you ready verse uh 107 verse 9 for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills the good things Saying the same thing, isn't he? Just in a different way. How about Psalm 113, verse number 7? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Same thing, isn't it? How about um, Psalm 85, verse number 3? You withdraw all your wrath. You turn from your hot anger. You see how they're saying the same thing? The Psalms are replete. The Proverbs are replete with that sort of thing. And so when you go to something like Proverbs 6.16, I think it is. I might have the reference wrong. Where the Bible says, 
These things the Lord hates. These six things the Lord hates, but the seven are an abomination. I've heard some really bad messages on that. You know what he's simply saying? He's, he's just simply saying these things are really, really bad. It's not that number seven is worse than the previous six. That's what I always hear. It's, it's poetry, and they're trying to drive something home. And so that's my, that's my interpretation lesson for today. Know what kind of literature you're reading and realize that there's parallelisms and other things in Scripture. Well, what did Mary sing? What does she sing? Number one, she's, she's saying that God lifts the humble. Look at verse number 47. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Verse number 46, I'm sorry. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant, for behold, even from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Notice that her praise does not specifically mention the son that she is given. Does she mention anything about her son here? She doesn't. She doesn't say, thank you, Lord, for making me pregnant. She she had the godliness to look past the gift and praise the God who gave it. And so to magnify means to enlarge. And what Mary wanted to enlarge, don't miss this, Mary wanted to enlarge her vision of God. And that's what every Christian needs. You need a big vision of God. Because the bigger your vision of God the smaller your vision is of everyone else. There's a, bu- a book about people-pleasing that I've worked through with people before, and it's called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And obviously the title of that is supposed to be reversed, right? God- oh, Zach's here too. Zach, I just saw you over there. Good to see you. All of our people are home. That's awesome. So, um, Mary wanted to enlarge her vision of God. Her goal was to show his greatness. She wanted to magnify God, not her own position as mother of the Son of God. She knew that she was blessed of of who God was and not because of who she was. And therefore, she wanted God to be seen as great and not herself. And to show this way, uh, to show this was not by thinking only about what God was doing in her life, but enlarging her vision to see the majesty of God. Many of you probably, I don't know, maybe I should, that's overestimating. Some of you read my Friday email. And in that Friday email, there was a, a, just a section by um, Augustine, Augustine, some of you call him, Augustine, about how he praised God. And none of it had to do with how God related to him. How, many of our praises of God is how he relates to me. And Augustine thought long, and he thought a lot about who God was and his attributes and how these things relate to one another. And he just magnified God. It was a magnificent praise. And so, dear believer, magnify God. Think about God. Think deeply about Scripture. And understand Scripture. And ask God to enlarge your image of Him and your understanding of Him. Mary didn't dwell on her happy circumstances. She rejoiced in in the character and the being of God. She worshipped his mighty power. Look at verses 49 and 51. She worshipped his mighty power. In verse number 50 or 49, she honored his holiness. In verse number 50, she magnified his mercy for sinners. In, in verses 54 and 55, she praised him for his faithfulness and keeping his promises. And so sometimes, even our worship of God can be somewhat self-centered, as if 
The really important thing is what God is doing for me. And that is, that is not true. We need to look beyond this and see what God, who God is in Himself. He is worthy to be praised. He is doing great things. And so when we speak about what God has done for us, as we should, it would be more about Him and less about us. Now, I think you're like me. If you, if you know Christ and you love Christ, you are absolutely flabbergasted that He saved you. Is that true? Every day, there are two things that cross my mind. Number one, I can't even believe you saved me. And number two, why on earth, of all people, did you call me to the ministry? Those are thoughts that I have every single day of my life. And if you're in Christ, you do too. But we get beyond that, don't we? And we think, okay, if he can do this, who, what else can I know about this great God? She praises God for lifting the humble and humbling the proud. And these are part of the great reversals of Scripture. It's important for us to remember that during her lifetime, Mary probably, think about this. Here we go, listen up. I got it in there. And Christy's not, oh yeah, there's Christy. All right, listen, seriously. Now I lost track. (laughs) Mary, this is so important, Mary probably never outlived the stigma of having a child born out of wedlock. Never. Never outlived that. And so we can understand something about God from this. And that is this. Today, no one remembers her for that. The only thing that she is remembered for is what? That she's the mother of our Savior. And so see, God reverses. That's a great reversal. He lifts the humble. He lifts the humble. So when she says, He has looked upon the humble estate of a servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, the praise and the glory that she received were not immediate. And the praise and the glory that you received, dear believer, may not be immediate. As a matter of fact, you better hope that the praise and glory you receive is not immediate. You better hope and pray that the praise and glory that you receive is future. Delayed gratification. Perhaps you're struggling with sickness or some other physical limitation and you're thinking to yourself, God, I could do so much more for you if I, if I could get beyond this sickness. Perhaps you are low, in a low condition spiritually or emotionally right now. Maybe you're on fumes. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you're tired. Maybe uh, you're just worn out, spiritually worn down. If this is your situation, don't complain that you deserve something better. Do not grasp for a higher position. Do not rage against your misfortune. But instead, listen, this is so important. Humble yourself to the providence of God and recognize your lowly position before Him as a sinner. And remember the promise of God. Humble yourselves before God and He will exalt you. The exaltation most likely will not be in this life, but it will be forever and ever and ever in all eternity. Isn't that wonderful to know? So remember that God lifts the humble. The second thing that she prays God for is that God humbles the proud. 
The same God who lifts the humble also humbles the proud. In the second half of our song, we see this. Look at this in verse number 51. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. There you go. He's, he's gonna, their thoughts are silly. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You want, let me, I'll pause right there. Look at that verse one more time. He has helped, I'm sorry, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has, he has sent away empty. You have to understand this. I, I wanted to preach a whole sermon on this little phrase alone. When you hunger, the hunger he's talking about here is spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. God will fill you. If you are rich in this world and you are trying to fill yourself with the riches of this world, you will be empty. And the world is full of rich but empty people because that's not how God works. But let's keep reading verse number 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary moves beyond what God has done for her to rejoice in what God will do for Israel and for the world. And what is strange is if you look at the verbs, you English people, look at the verbs, they're all in the past tense. They're in the past tense. Why did she do this? Well, it's possible that Mary is remembering the great acts of God in history. You know, the lines of her song remind us of a lot of the events from the Old Testament where God showed his strength by drowning Pharaoh's army. He scattered the proud Philistines uh, by striking down Goliath. He brought mighty Nebuchadnezzar down from his throne, and he sent Belshazzar away from his feast. God did these things to save his people. God humbled the proud to show mercy to Israel as he promised to Abraham. And yet, Mary was praising God for what he would do in Christ. And so by speaking in the past tense, she was making prophecy about the future. She could get away with this because when God says that he will do something, it's as good as done. His promises come with a guarantee of fulfillment. Furthermore, the concept, with the conception of Christ, the great reversal has already been done. The, the choice of Mary proved it. God was lifting the humble, and soon he would humble the proud. So her song spanned from the past to the present to the future about what God had done and what God was doing and what God would do in days to come. And the Son of God has come to establish his rule and his justice and his kingdom with might. And this meant the, the overthrow of, a very proud, of every proud nation and the humbling of every proud heart. And God alone deserves power and glory. And therefore, he must subdue everything and everyone that opposes his will. To be specific, the pride of intellect, Luke one fifty one, the pride of position, uh, verse number 52, and the pride of wealth in verse number 53. And so you know what God does? He does something only God can do. He takes the conventional standards of greatness and significance, and he stands them on their heads. The person he exalts is the humble servant who does his will. 
The person he humbles is the powerful leader who refuses to acknowledge his need for God. And we're going to see this all the way through the book of Luke. Think with me for just a minute. What did he do? He, the rich man goes to hell. Poor Lazarus is carried home to be with God. That's Luke 16. The prayers of the self-righteous Pharisee are denied, but the sinful tax collector goes home justified, Luke 18. And Jesus said in Luke 14, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. At the end of the gospel comes the greatest reversal of all, God the Son, who once humbled himself to become a man and endure the painful, shameful death on the cross, is raised in, from the dead in triumph, having humbled himself, he is exalted and forever lives at the right hand of God. That's the book of Luke. Now, Christ is busy turning things upside down in the world. He doesn't leave things as they are. He doesn't, he doesn't stand for the status quo. And this is why it's so deadly for the church to follow culture. The church should not follow culture. Jesus upends culture, always upends the culture. Jesus opposes the pride that rules the world. And if we're on the side of injustice, he is opposed to us. The child who put the song in Mary's heart was the world's most dangerous baby. And this is why God, and this is the way God operates. The humble is shown mercy while the proud receives justice. The lowly are lifted the loftier brought low. And this is true for nations. The proud rulers who try to conquer the world always get destroyed in the end. You think about this. um, uh, A dictator has to be a dictator for life because retirement is very short for a dictator. Putin, why do you think he gets reelected? Because there is no retirement for a guy like that. And that's, that's the God of the world. And it will happen, listen, this upending will happen to our own nation unless we humble ourselves before God. The kingdoms of this world are temporary and transitory. God will not rest until Christ is alone as Lord. And then he sees to it that justice is done, putting all wrong things to right. And he does the same thing with churches. There's nothing more deadly to spiritual health than spiritual pride. Nothing at all. Churches that boast about their ministry will be humbled until they learn to give all the glory to God. While churches that humbly go about the Lord's will will and work will see lives change. And that's my prayer for Providence, by the way. I want Providence to be the kind of church that humbly goes about God's work, drawing no attention to ourselves and drawing all the attention to Christ and all His glory. And so when God does anything at Providence, our first reaction is to say, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. What is true of churches and nations is also true of individuals. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is what Mary meant when she said, God filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. Well, I need to close. Mary was also speaking about our spiritual need for God. God only satisfies people who are hungry for Him. And when we get stuffed with the pleasures of this life, 
We do not feel our need for God. And then he has nothing more to give us. If we're too proud to admit that we need God the way the beggar needs bread, he'll send us away empty. But if we have a heart that hungers after God, if we long for forgiveness of our sins, if we thirst for the knowledge of God, if we crave eternal life in Christ, then God will satisfy us. And when we trust Him and act upon that trust and participate in His plan of redemption, we will, dear believer, listen to this, experience overwhelming joy. Don't you want overwhelming joy? Don't you want more of Christ? More of Him? More of His grace and mercy? More of the experience of His love? More of seeing His work? More communion with Him? And the list could go on and on and on. For those, that's their heart's desire, God fills with joy. Lord, we thank You. It's been a joyful morning, I must admit. And so, Lord, I pray that you will fill us with a craving for you, a desire to know you in all your glory, a desire to understand you, to um, be a participant in your work, to serve you with all of our heart, to pray to the God of the universe. Lord, yes, life is tough. Mothers are tired. Fathers are exhausted. Uh, Our older members are dealing with loneliness and hurt and physical pain and a lack of strength. But in all of these things, what you tell us is that we are more than conquerors in Him who loved us and saved us. And so, Lord... I ask one more time, fill us with joy. Amen.